Well, let the record show that I paid for lunch today when Coach Johnson and I went out for lunch. This is the difference of how things work. When Coach Johnson and I go out for work, I pick up the check. When I go down to visit Coach Reedy at one of his great restaurants, he provides the food. So I eat off of him. That's how it works. Good evening. Michael Myers not pay for pay for lunch? He didn't sit around. He didn't sit around with his new best friends, his new BFFs. What a shame. What a shame. Coach Johnson, how are you? Welcome into Chalk Talk. Good to talk to you again a few hours after we had bread. I'm doing fine, and I told you we're going to have another lunch, and it's going to be on me. (laughs) That's okay. I'm not guilting you in anything. It was nice meeting your your BFF, Michael Myers, today. It's crazy that you knew exactly who he was. And the first time I met him, I thought that was his real name. I said, Mike, nice to meet you. <laughs> but anyhow, it was a fun time. He, uh, it was a good time. We'll, we'll do it again. Yeah, yeah. He's quite um, the athletic looking person, too. I mean, I talked to him about, he's about 6'2, I think he said, and uh, could play a little football. And he stays in shape because he's all, he also does stunts. He's a stuntman in the movies. Yeah, does a lot more of that actually than the than the movies you would know him in. But uh, at sixty five years old, that's pretty impressive. Indeed. Speaking of aged wonders, welcome in, Coach Reedy. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great, Bill. Doing great. And how was uh, how was France? France was great. We had a very nice time. Uh, there were there were there were. There were no sports bars with football, college football on in, in Paris. Let me just tell you that. <laughs> <I> looked. You <laughs> looked. There was, no, there was no such thing. Well, I have found the French people to be marvelous people. They were very nice. I, I was actually, I always heard how rude they were. They were very, very nice, very helpful, very accommodating. Uh, no, it's a very nice trip. Good. Well, we're glad you're back. Uh, Ellis, let's jump into uh, Clemson defense and what went wrong against uh, Notre Dame. Were they just overmatched? Is that possible to say about this Clemson defense? They were overmatched up front by Notre Dame's line in their running game? I can feel I thought there was a difference in the game both sides of the ball up front. And I mean, you know, Chuck talked about the offense, but that was the game. But uh, I was surprised at how bad it was. Uh, they gave it 263 yards rushing, and Notre Dame didn't even get the 100 yards passing and still put up 35 points. Now, I know a lot of it was because of struggles in other areas, but, mm-hmm. you know, they gave up 263 yards and they had zero to two turnovers. And, uh, it's a formula for disaster. I don't think they played as well as they can play. I have no explanation for it. I, I really think that they'll play better down the stretch. But it was sort of a wake-up call. And I, I was concerned about them going up there, but not this kind of a loss. Yeah. And Chuck, on the offensive side now, here we go again, pulling the quarterback, putting in the number two guy, and he doesn't stay out there very long, and they go back to the number one guy. What kind of situation are they putting themselves in here with the quarterback situation? Well, yeah, I think they're they're playing with fire, you know, and you know you you put you put the freshman in in a terrible situation. I mean, backed up, and you know, and then the second play, you know, you you he he rolls to his left, and you know, throws across his body. I mean, it, 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 as Ellis said, 
recipe for disaster, and it was. Mm-hmm. And then they took him and, and put put uh, DJ back in. Um, you know, I, I think they, you know, I think they're really uh, scrambling right now to try to find somebody that can, uh, you know, generate some offense. And, you know, I, I don't know that either one of them can, to be honest with you. Um, you know, the freshman may be a good player down the road, but, you know, he's done nothing to indicate that he's the guy that can go out there and win a game for him. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he hadn't done that. Um, maybe he will at some point. But, you know, um, when you when you look back at, at, at Deshaun Watson and, and Trevor Lawrence, I mean, those guys immediately, you knew they could do it. They did it. Mm. We haven't seen that from Klubnik. You know, you just hadn't seen it. Um, and, you know, as far as DJ goes, you know, here we are at the end of the, of the second season. He's not much different than he was – you know, at the beginning of last season, you know, he may, he has made some progress, but he's still, you know, he, he's not a guy, you know, he's not a playoff guy, a guy that's going to get him to the playoffs. What have you seen in the last two games compared to the first seven? And they had, you know, some close calls in there, but they won those games. And, um, or I guess it was really the, well, the first seven, he struggled in game eight, and uh, they, they switched out. So last two games have been struggles for him. The first seven, he, he looked like he was on top of his game and, and knew what he was doing and knew what he was trying to do. Now, what what switch has been flipped the other direction to make him regress to what he looked like last year? Well, I don't have an answer for that. Uh, but you know, I, I think you know, as you said, they've been playing with fire all year. I mean, and and you know, sooner or later they were going to get burned. But you know, he, and and he had gotten better. But it wasn't like you know, uh, you know, all of a sudden he was a great quarterback. Um, you know, just been able to you know to 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 get through some games and and, and get some wins, and, and and he you know he did some good things. But you know, now it's kind of reverted back to. What it was a year ago, and you know, and looking at the offense, you know, Ellis, you know, uh, nailed it. You know, you you go, you watch them, and, and I, you know, I didn't get to see it on Saturday, but I watched the replay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, they're a sideways football team. I mean, they're they're throwing the ball behind the line of scrimmage. I mean, you know, you don't get physical doing that. You get physical running the ball north and south, and and what have you. And, and, you know, they're a sideways team. I mean, you know, lateral. I mean, and, uh, you know, and it showed. I mean, when, when they, you know, they, they just can't establish, didn't establish a line of scrimmage. And, you know, um, you know, they're just, they're not a very physical football team. And, you know, every time, if you think about it, when they get out of the, the ACC, and they play somebody like Notre Dame, just like they did two years ago, the same thing happened. Mm-hmm. You know, they were physically overmatched, and, and when they, you know, and, and, and that's what's happened uh, last year against Georgia. When they get out of the ACC, they're just not physical enough, you know, to beat the good football teams, I don't think. Ellis, uh, looking at Clemson's defense against Notre Dame some more, what did you see from uh... – the front seven there, the defensive line, linebackers, uh, that uh, where they came up short in trying to stop the run. Um, bad tackling, poor angles, 
uh, couldn't get off blocks. What, what did you see from that group? Well, I just the biggest thing is that the two sides are feeding off of each other. Their offense is going three and out defense back out there, et cetera, et cetera. But Chuck and I are kind of beating around the same points. They got beat up front on both sides of the ball. And I don't think it was quite as bad on the defensive side, but they gave up plays in the perimeter too. And some of these things have happened during the course of the year. But against the type of teams they were playing, it would be like a lapse, you know, a spell or two series, if you will, where they were, you know, having the same issues. But And I think Notre Dame is a better football team than everybody thinks they are. Uh, they don't have a quarterback who's very dynamic. And so they lost to Marshall at home and had another ugly loss early in the season. I think they, I think they've won four or five games in a row coming in. And we all know that Notre Dame's got talent. In, in, on, on any year, you know, they've recruited, you know, in, in the national top 10 or 15 every year. Mm-hmm. So they've got talent. They just haven't had real good quarterback play, and so they've lost to some teams they shouldn't have lost to. But they sort of found out who they were. And like, like you said, they, they controlled the, the line of scrimmage, and they couldn't get them off the field. They averaged 5.6 yards a carry. And, and that uh, 283 yards, that's, that's it. Yeah, Pat has uh, shared a note here with us, Chuck, and that is uh, first quarter, Clemson against Notre Dame, and uh, Uyangale was 9 for 10, but none for more than five yards downfield. Five of the 10 were behind the line of scrimmage. So exactly as you said, is that also the result of what's happening at the wide receiver position where, I mean, I think Antonio Williams has got great talent and has a chance to be a, a terrific player in the future, but uh, maybe across the board, it's a major step down from what they're used to at wide receiver? Uh, as, as I was watching the game, Antonio Williams is the best receiver they got, and he's a freshman. So the, the, uh, that tells you something right there. Mm. I mean, they got a bunch of, they've got a bunch of average guys out there. They don't have anybody that can really stretch the field. And, and, you know, and so, you know, and, and if you look at their passing game, it's either behind the line of scrimmage or it's a, it's a deep throw, usually overthrown. There's, there is no intermediate passing game. I mean, you don't see any, any balls thrown over the, you know, over the middle of the field, you know, it, it, you know, 10, 15, 20 yards down the field. And, and maybe that's because they don't want to put DJ in that position. I don't know, but, but I just know that you know you're not gonna you're not gonna win beat any good football teams, uh, you know throwing the ball sideways all all night. You know you, you, you just doesn't happen. And uh, and the same thing in their running game. You know they do. You know when the best thing they got is to hand the ball to Shipley. You know straight ahead. You know the inside outside zone whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. You know but but they're they're running you know all this lateral stuff sideways. You know. You know, it's, it's, you, yeah, you can beat you know you can beat people in the ACC. You're not going to beat good football teams. Let's shift gears. South Carolina, they go to Vanderbilt and bounce back from their uh, really bad performance against Missouri, and they get a nice win over Vanderbilt. Kind of regained their confidence. Got a little more strut in the step. Had some good moments on offense, defense, and the special teams. Uh, Chuck, I. Uh, was at the press conference today for the coordinators, and one thing asked of Coach Limbo, their special teams coordinator, are they in the heads of their opponents, their special teams? Have they reached that point where the other teams now always have to prepare extra time 
for South Carolina and the special teams and what they might do? His answer was absolutely, and that's a win for them. If they're fo- if they're fo- forcing other teams to spend time worrying about and preparing for the special teams, that's a win for South Carolina. Oh, no doubt about it. And, you know, I mean, that's probably, you know, probably been the strongest area of their football team has been their special teams. And, uh, no, they've done a great job there. And, and um, um, you know, no no doubt about it. I, I, I just was thinking back when, when we played Florida State, first time we played them, you know, we, we spent so much time <laughs> worrying about them blocking a kick mm. that – we hunted it, and De- and uh, Dion ran it back for a touchdown <laughs> because we 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 were so uh, worried about them blocking a kick, you know. But but point being, yeah, we spent a bunch of time worrying about that and 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 time practicing on that, and yeah, it does take away. From, you know, you you've only got so much time on the field, so yes, yeah. um, obviously that's true. Let me ask you a quick question as a follow up. Back in your days, you know, coaching and you'd play uh, Florida State and you'd play Virginia Tech from time to time as well. So you had yep. Beamer and you had uh, had Bowden and their reputations mm-hmm. for special teams like you're talking about. Which one, though, was more uh, – did you fear more? What, what Beamer was doing, the Beamer ball with his special teams or what Bowden was doing with his special teams? Well, Bowden had, Bowden had a lot uh, a lot better talent <laughs> and um, – you know, again, they always had a guy back there, whether you know, be Buckley or whether it be Dion or whoever, the, you know, Warwick or whatever. They had guys that you know that could take it to the house in in, in a minute, and and they had great athletes that you know that could block a punt as well. Um, but no, both of them, you know, both of them, um, you know, had great success and special teams were a big part of that. John Greeny and Ellis Johnson with us here tonight on Sports Talk as we go through another round of Chalk Talk. And uh, Coach Johnson, speaking of the uh, Gamecocks and their defense, uh, struggled here the past couple of weeks, certainly even against Vanderbilt, slowing down the run game. And in the postgame, Shane Beamer talked about it was a a twofold problem. First off, they didn't tackle all that well. And secondly, he talked about they need to do a better job fitting the run. We hear that so often from coaches, but I'm not sure I understand exactly what he's saying. And I'm I'm curious if our listeners do as well. So can you explain what coaches mean when they're talking about run fits and fitting the run defensively? Yeah, run fit basically says the the guys on the second level, linebackers, and if the safety's down, involved in it. They have to understand the front, and they have to have some kind of concept of the blocking scheme that pops up in their face when they run the play against them, and where they've got to fit with the defensive lineman and the blocking scheme. And, uh, you know, sometimes defensive lines kicking people's rear ends up front, it's easy to find those fits. When they're getting knocked off the ball or zoned out, what I call by that is a bit overreached, where they shouldn't be overreached, or they're getting cut off where they shouldn't get cut off then it makes it tougher on the linebackers. So, I mean, what he's trying to say is they're not they're not stopping runs up in the inside, and as a result, they don't have very good play on the perimeter either because they're having to get more people involved, more extra safety in the box, et cetera. Uh, but it, it, it didn't – I wasn't totally shocked with Missouri mm-hmm. because I think Missouri's got some pretty good players in that aspect. The quarterback's not a great quarterback, but he's a pretty good runner. And they had a good running back. 
Van Dow did not understand, so it's kind of a tale of two cities. They gave up 226 yards rushing and 450 yards, but they did get four takeaways. And so I, I don't think it was a terrible day for the defense, but I'm worried because when they go down to Florida, Anthony Richardson's starting to play better. He had a spell from second game to about third, fourth, fifth game. Just could not throw the football. He was getting it turned over. He wasn't, they wouldn't let him throw for a while. And now he's had a couple of pretty good games. Uh, so if they can't improve in the run stop, they're going to have problems because Anthony Richardson probably could be a little bit better than what that has got. Hmm. Well, they have been a team most of the season that has been in, I think, the top ten in terms of percentage of blitzing. Is that something you would, if you were working with the defense right now, realizing they're having struggles dealing with the run and, and especially dealing with a mobile quarterback, do you not blitz as much maybe to help the linebackers in the secondary slow down the run, especially if Richardson breaks through the line of scrimmage? No, no. I, and, and if blitzing, you know, in my mind, blitzing is bringing seven or eight people in a pass situation. Mm-hmm. Run fires and run shoots, you know, are doing five people or six people to stop runs and get people's feet stopped in the backfield and get some tackles for loss, et cetera. If these things are done in a timely fashion when you call them and they're practiced and they're getting results from them, they're not dangerous. I, I, I really have watched them some enough to know I don't think they're going to stop SEC teams, really good, solid teams in the SEC, playing with four down, two linebackers, and, you know, against three wides, you can't get your safety in there sometimes. I don't think they're going to be effective stopping the run. So I think he's doing the right thing. He's mixing it up. He's bringing some heat here and there. And they're, they're run stoppers sometimes. But I think on third down now, they, I think the turnovers are there if I'm not, not uh, mistaken. I think with DBs, it calls those fumbles or got pits, obviously. But, Anyhow, I, I think he's doing the right thing with his personnel. Chuck, USC offense against uh, Vanderbilt. Now you got to take into uh, consideration who they were playing, a very poor defensive team. But they did some good things, had a bunch of big plays. I think Rattler felt like he had his best game. Didn't have huge numbers as far as yardage, but protected the football, uh, had a good percentage, seemed to put the ball where it needed to be. Most times had a couple of uh, really impressive throws. Uh, they got the ball to um, to Bell, as I predicted. I predicted twenty times. He touched it nineteen times. So, what'd you think? What'd you think of the offense? Is Rattler kind of rounding into form here in the uh, latter stages of the season? Well, you know, it was the right formula for them. He threw the ball, I think, twenty five, twenty three, twenty four, five times. Which you know we've said all year. I mean, uh, it, it don't, he doesn't need to be throwing it more than that. And they were able to run the ball fairly effectively, even without Lloyd. Now I don't think that Bell. Uh, you know, I, I don't think his role is as a running back. Now I know they were gonna they were gonna get the ball in his hands after everything that happened last week and what's what everything that was said. But um, you know, get Lloyd back and then get Bell out there and use him as a receiver like he should be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but, but you know, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the formula that they need offensively. Don't put it – don't put the, the burden on Rattler. And if you don't put it on him and just let him, you know, be a part of the offense but not be the guy that they're depending on, you know, to, to win the game for him, 
then then I think they got a chance. It just seems to me, and you correct me if I'm wrong, um, well, two things, well, two questions here. One real quick, but I'll combine them into two questions. Uh, and a caller brought this up earlier. Uh, Satterfield's on the sidelines coordinating the offense. Is that wise, number one? Number two, it seems like he calls a different game against an opponent the Gamecocks should beat versus an opponent the Gamecocks are underdogs against and maybe overmatched against. So respond to those two questions. Well, number one, you know, everybody has their own way of calling a game. I preferred to be in the box. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, up there, obviously you can see better. And, and you, I, I just felt like you were a little bit, you know, kind of isolated from everything going on on the field. Um, and, yeah, it's a lot easier to call a game when, you, when you're playing somebody you should win uh, or should beat, um, you know, than it is to play when you're playing Georgia. I mean, those are the ones that are tough to call. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe, you know, I think sometimes when, when you're playing somebody that's not very good, you know, you're a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more wide open, a little you feel – a little bit, you know, you you don't feel quite the pressure that you do against somebody that you know that that that's good, and so you know I'm sure that's the case with him as well. Okay, uh, our final minutes. Let me get y'all's take on the rankings from last night. Ellis, what'd you think of what the committee did last night? I, I think they've kind of hit everything correctly, and I think it's been done long enough. Enough years, you know. I think everybody's realizing. It doesn't matter that much where you put teams right now, except that you have to at least make sure the really good teams that deserve being there don't get pushed too far down the ladder or you can't bring them back in. But I can't argue with anything they've done so far. I, mean, I think it's all been pretty accurate. Uh, Chuck, get your thoughts on that as well. Plus, Boo Corrigan, NC State AD, who is the, the chairman of the committee, he's giving some very weird answers to questions about why teams are where they are. I mean, like, he's talking about, like, relationships between coordinators and quarterbacks, and he said something last night. i got to go back and look for it. It had something to do with uh, the way somebody was playing. It just – he seems to be – they seem to be digging in real deep on, on relationships and things like that inside of a team, applying that to the thought process of where they should be ranked. Well, you know, <laughs> they they may be getting, uh, you know, maybe trying to get a little bit too, um, you know, too complicated with this whole thing. I mean, just, you know, just <laughs> let's just go and, 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 you know, and, and let's do it that way. Let's don't get into the weeds here too much. But, you know, like, <laughs> and I, I, I don't. And he probably shouldn't be saying a whole lot of anything anyway. Yeah, they should we just get it out and let it go with that. You know, I think the the less said by those guys, the better. I would agree. I'm trying to find that quote from last night that had been uh, reported by people as being just a little bit odd. The, the, some of the things they're, uh, they're they're looking at at these teams uh, to try to identify which ones are the best. But uh, quickly, Chuck, though you you pretty much. You you agree with where the top four are right now? Oh, I do. I mean, it, it's obvious. Um, you know, we're going to have you're going to have you know you're going to you're going to have two SEC teams, I think, and you're going to have obviously Michigan or Ohio State, and then you're going to have one 
from the either the Big 12 or the Pac-10 or Pac-12, whatever that is out there now. All right, real I quick. I mean, that's what it looks like to me. All right, real quick. Can Clemson get in at 12-1, and one, either one of you? No. Possible. <laughs> possible. I mean, they don't have control of their own destiny right now. That's yeah. Guys, but if you want me to get Boo, let me get Boo Carrington's number. He knows a lot more about this than we do. <laughs> okay, get him on and let him answer that. You got it, <laughs> guys. Thank you so much. Great being with you. Have a great rest of the week. Talk to you next week. We'll be right back. Uh-huh.